Welcome to Battleground. Today is Friday, March the 5th, and uh, we are back, uh, back to law enforcement Fridays. Uh, it is, uh, it, it, we have missed Fridays for sure. We have missed being on the podcast again for, for a new, for a lot of reasons, but we're back. We're excited to have you back. And, uh, we have a kick-ass show today. We have a absolute stud with us, Robert Arce. He's a retired Phoenix, uh, PD detective, uh, 10 years experience in Bosnia, Croatia with organized crime. He was in Iraq as a police advisor in Haiti, anti-kidnapping unit. In Mexico, narcotics. This guy has done it all, gets it, and uh, he is here to talk about the, um, I guess, the shit show that's going on with the Biden administration and their uh, their failed policies, their uh, lack of understanding of what really is happening. And uh, before I get too deep in it, I'm going to let you know Robert really walk us through the dangers, the details, the nuts and bolts, safe houses, the corruption with immigrations, the cartels, you name it. But here we go. And to uh, and welcome to the show. Uh, we're going to have Robert join us. Hey, Robert, it's always a pleasure to join us. Um, I'm glad you're back. Law Enforcement Fridays missed you. Um, person of your caliber needed to be on the show. And especially right now with the... Uh, with the shit show, like I said, going on at the border, the crime, the illegals, unaccompanied minors, you name it. Um, people don't get it. Liberals liberals really don't get it. They really don't understand what's going on. It's all about feel good. Trump was evil. Orange man bad. And, uh, you know, now that Biden's here, nobody's reporting it. So, you know, without further ado, uh, Robert, thanks for being on the show, man. Thanks for having me back, Yvonne. Great, great always to be here. Absolutely, brother. We can't uh, we can't do it without you. And uh, you know we appreciate you making the time. I know you. Uh, you know I also forgot to say that you you used to be at uh, Breitbart. You've been on Sarah Carter, Fox. I mean, you know you're everywhere, man. I know you're writing a script for a movie, uh, some books. Uh, I, you know I don't know what to tell you, man. But your stories are a lot better than uh, than than watching Twenty Four with uh, Keith or Sutherland. So, um, <laughs> hey. The border. Um, when Trump was there, you know, he was uh, he was mean. He was evil, separating families. Now Biden's here. Um, it doesn't seem to be a problem. But what does seem to be a problem is this, is um, we have a whole bunch of uh, illegals that are coming to the border. Um, that's going to have to be addressed one way or another. I mean, from a policy perspective, it's, it's a disaster. Um, everybody's crashing, catching releases back in. But what I really wanted you to talk to, to, you know, to our listeners or viewers was what really happens? How does this get organized? Who pays? Who funds? How do they get moved from Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, all the way to San Isidro or, or, or any other place on the border or, or through the border, right? All the different characters that play a role, the safe houses, we talked about this, the uh, trafficking of humans, women, you know, girls, uh, organs, uh, drugs, uh, man, I, it, it is so broad, man. I'm just going to let you run, man. I know you're, you're, you're great at these monologues. So kick it off, brother. Sure. Uh, first of all, these policies that are being brought back, the old failed policies, uh, they're all they're doing is they're going to create a humanitarian crisis. Uh, what we have a lot of times is that 
uh, you see a lot of people on the left, they start complaining, they start crying about the mistreatment, which they perceive to be at the border once uh, these uh, immigrants are taken into custody by Border Patrol. But what they fail to see is the, 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 the suffering, the death, and all the danger that these people face when they leave Central America and they leave Central America and they're traveling through through all parts of uh, there to cross into Mexico and they're facing incredible danger. Uh, we just had, I think there was uh, 18 uh, migrants in Tamaulipas were gunned down by the police. Uh, they were in a caravan. I'm not sure what the story was. I've heard a couple of things, but one of the one of them was that they may have been mistaken for being a cartel caravan and the cops opened up, realized who they were, and then they torched the vehicles. And I think there were 12 uh, Guatemalans in the, in the caravan. I'll step back a little bit just to give a little bit of brief, my expertise in human smuggling. I'm a city cop. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a retired Phoenix cop, but Phoenix being close to the border, uh, at the tail end of my career, all I did primarily were drug investigations, gang investigations. They needed uh, someone from Phoenix PD, a Spanish speaker, to go help out ICE. So I went over, worked, got attached to an ICE DPS group. It was a financial crimes group. And it was during the time of the uh, what we were calling the super drop houses. Uh, it was early. It was 2003, 2004, up to 2005. And we were having... Uh, I knew nothing about human smuggling. I was very fortunate to have ICE take me under their wing. And within a couple of months, I was I was the Phoenix PD expert on human smuggling cases. Uh, we had a house with 160 migrants in one house where we would get a complaint from Central American families in the East Coast to say, hey, my brother, my cousin, a relative of mine is in a house in Phoenix and the smugglers now are requesting more money. We don't have that kind of money. Right. They're, they're beating him over the phone and telling us, if you do not pay an extra $500 to $1,000 by tomorrow, we're going to kill him. So these are desperate families. They would, the families would be illegally in the U.S., but out of desperation, they would call. Eventually, they have to call somebody. So they would call Phoenix PD or ICE. That's where I would come in. That's where ICE would come in. So we would locate a house and go knock on the door, do a knock and talk, thinking we're going to go in and find 5, 10, 20 people, and we find 160 people in one house. Um, a week, two weeks later, we hit another house with 180. It, it was a, such a crisis at the time. This is early. This is like the peak season for these drop houses is right before the holidays. Uh, a lot of the people living illegally in the U.S. will head down south. They'll go back home. They would go back home, and then right after the uh, right after the holidays, after uh, Three Saints Day uh, or Three Kings Day, they yeah. all start heading north. And they would get north, and because of 9-11, the border was tightened. So the smuggling groups are sitting there waiting, and uh, these people would have to travel, especially the Central Americans. In the house with 180 people, we only encountered, I think it was like, less than 30 Mexicans in that house. They were almost, everyone was Central American. So you had people from Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras. A uh, few people from Nicaragua that we would get. So what happens now, you have, uh, when the crisis happened, I think it was in 2018, where we had the giant uh, caravans that were coming through, 
by that time, um, or I'll even go back up a little bit. Back up before that was that uh, I was working. Uh, I was working in Mexico for a short time, for three years. I was down there, so I got to travel down into Zacatecas. I traveled into some of the other locations to see. Uh, I got to see the, the the famous La Bestia, the train coming through that's bringing people from Central America. I was in a meeting in uh, in Zacatecas with the Attorney General and some other people from the prosecutor's office. And his office sat up on a on a hill right next to the train tracks. And all of a sudden, the prosecutor, the state attorney general, says to us, oh, wait, watch, you'll be able to see, because we were talking about the migrant crisis at the, at the time, the unaccompanied minors that were all heading north. And there goes a train. We see it from the top of the hill from his office. And there goes a train. And you could see people on top of the train, not as many as we have seen before, but they were sitting on top of the train. After I left Mexico, I started writing for Breitbart. I wrote for the Cartel Chronicles for two and a half years. When the crisis happened, I went down to Tijuana to the uh, the shelter where there were 3,000 people, probably more, three to 5,000 people, I think, were showing up there. And they were just, it was it was an unbelievable crisis. They were all staying at a uh, an open-air stadium right on the border. And it had been raining. It was cold season. It was November. And... I started interviewing people. I started walking around with 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 among the migrants there that was just packed and started talking to people. Hey, what's going on? What happened? There's a famous picture I sent you of that mother and her two children. Where yeah, there's that was a famous picture that made uh that made news all oh. in the world. Uh the barefoot mother with her barefoot kids. Um unfortunately I'm not able to pull it up. I've been trying to um but uh you know Te technical issues today. I got to yes. get with uh, I got to get with my with my snurgly to uh, to help me uh, work some of these things out. But uh, yeah, I mean that that that's that's an amazing picture, and they can actually see it on your Twitter, right? They can see it on your Twitter feed, or they can see it. They can see it on right? my Twitter feed. I'll, I'm going to be uh, posting it again on Twitter. What I'll be doing, and it's on a Twitter feed. And what I'll do is I'll post the original photo that went viral, which yep. is the mother. And there's tear gas in the background. There's a mob of people, which you can't see if you if you pay attention. There's a camera guy because it was a setup. Yeah. There's a camera guy in the background. They're waiting for the photo op. Wow. And this well, this woman is running with these, tugging on these two barefoot little girls in diapers. Yeah. And to me, when I saw the viral uh, photo, I mean, it it pulled at my heart because they looked like my granddaughters. Yeah. You know. But then I get down there to the shelter there in Tijuana. I'm walking around, and this woman walks up to me and taps me on the shoulder, and she's asking me for money. I turn around and look, and it's that mother that I saw in the photo just by chance. And I look, and there's her daughters. Her daughters are running around. Uh, so I start talking to them. I start talking, and she tells me what happened is that she was in El Salvador. And the whole migrant caravan mess started is that there was an announcement on TV and on radio Hey, people, we're, uh, it was some, some social organization, a uh, Catholic uh, group or something that was down there, and we're going to take a caravan of two to 300 people to the U.S. border. We will be in a group for protection from any criminal groups in Central America and in Mexico, and through our numbers, we'll have strength and protection. Well, what's that? I posted those pictures on the Facebook feed, by the way. 
Yes, so yes. Watch it. Somebody wants to see those pictures. It's amazing. And and and, and later you found them, right? So that, I found that's them. Where, they walked right they, up to me. They walked yep. up to me, and I talked to her. I talked to her for a half hour. And what it was, it was the original woman in the viral picture, and I think it's three of her sisters, and they all had kids. So they hear the announcement on the radio. Hey, come down. We're going to take uh, we're going to get amnesty in the U.S. We will feed you. We will protect you from the cartels or from the criminal elements that we'll encounter. And when that call went out, it was a mob. They said, show up at the park. We're going to leave like on Sunday or whatever day it was. Thousands of people showed up. Wow. So then that was these caravans that start moving. That was, that was that big caravan, right? Like 10,000 or something, yeah. right? Yeah, and it yeah. just kept growing. It kept growing. I mean, you you have people in a, in a in an area that, uh, and, and I'll talk about like the, they were made to believe that it was going to be very easy to get uh, amnesty. So they started traveling. They get to the uh, Guatemala-Mexico border. They have a little trouble crossing initially, and eventually the Mexicans let them in. And there was news. I wrote several stories when I was writing at Breitbart of following the caravan through. Eventually, it ended up in Sonora because I have had some family contacts in Sonora that reached out to me and yep. said, hey, they're coming through right now. You want to see this. Bus wow. is full. Now, this is very well, you know, it's an organized. That's what I was going to say. I mean, it's not, you know, tens of thousands walking barefoot for, you know, thousands <laughs> of kilometers, right? No, no. My mother's family on my mom's side, they, when they arrived in Arizona, they, they followed the railroad tracks. And they, the story was it took them a couple of years to arrive in Arizona. Right. Uh, but these people were showing up and they're jumping into uh, flatbed pickup trucks or jumping into buses. So in talking to this woman and other people that I talked to at the shelter, they were saying they were being fed twice a day, sometimes three times a day. They would be traveling and they would hit a, a station and there were people uh, providing medical uh, checkups. They were getting, if someone was sick, they were getting medication. They were being fed. They had protection. Some In some locations, they were being escorted by Mexican police. And who pays for all this, uh, Robert? Well, that's what we're asking. We're saying, well, who is paying for it? And they were telling us there were Americans. There were Americans that were guiding us. They spoke English. They spoke Spanish with an English with a with an anglicized accent. Yeah. But the the main complaint was once they got to the shelter in Tijuana, these Americans disappeared. Wow. They felt like they were totally abandoned. There were we talked to when I was there. I talked to some of these migrants down there that were waiting to cross. They were so discouraged that what happened to them, they felt like they had been used because now they're at the border and now they're being told they cannot cross. Right. And they're they're they realize that they've so been left-wing groups that are that are funding, organizing all these tens of thousands of people to create chaos at the border. Exactly. That's what it was. It was there to create chaos. So then the interesting thing, I asked this this mother that had come up and she's talking to me. And I said, well, so what happened in that photograph? And she said there were two camps within the within this, this caravan. There was this mob. There was one group that says, let's just rush the border and they're going to let us in. So when they were thinking of doing that, let's rush the border, they said, one group said, let the women and children go up in front. And as they rush the border, they will not do anything to us because they're not going to do anything to women and children, especially on camera. And uh, the, the the other group were saying, women and children, you know, bull, we want to go in first. 
Right. So, so what it what happened is they this mob started heading toward the border. They asked for volunteers. We need volunteers to head up to the. We're gonna rush the border and see what happens. We're gonna test it. And this is this is in San Isidro, right? Yeah, San Isidro. This is in right. San Isidro. TJ. So yeah, TJ. Yeah, it's right there at the, at the border crossing. Yeah. So they this mob starts heading across, being followed by the media. I mean, the media is waiting to, to go. In, in the viral photo, you can see there's a cameraman in the background with a tripod. He's taking, oh he's taking look, pictures. I look at that picture. I yes. posted it on the Facebook thread, but so, so you know, whoever wants to look, they they can see. I'm gonna I'm gonna zoom in here. So, and then there was some reporting that came out of the U.S. of some people that, to me, they were, uh, you know. If you're a reporter down the shoulders, you see him? On, on the top top yeah. right corner. If you yes. go into the picture that we posted on the top right corner, there's a guy with a tripod. Yeah. That is insane. Yes. So it was, this it was woman, it was yeah, the woman was telling me, she says, Well, as we're heading toward the border, we thought, all right, well, we're gonna they're gonna let women and children in. So she had her daughter. So they're walking up there. And then she said, This mob of adult males started charging the the the, the uh the border plus yep. they were throwing rocks and bottles at, at uh the border patrol guys that were out there so then they started getting tear gassed and that's when she started running but she told me this is what she says she says i said well are where do you have a husband what where, where uh you, you okay there you are so do you have a husband she says my husband is in houston she says he's been deported uh, I think she mentioned two to three times he was there illegally. He'd been deported for fighting and minor crimes and stuff like that. So uh, she said that when her husband heard that there was possibly going to be some type of amnesty, that uh, he called her in El Salvador and he said, hey, get the kids, head down here. I cannot go get you because I wouldn't, I can't get in legally because he's a, you know, he's a criminally deported, prior de criminally deported alien. So she grabbed her sisters and their kids and they jumped onto this caravan and there they were. They were there at the border. So at the camp there in San Isidro, what I also did, I started walking around. I'm, a, I'm an old gang cop. I can spot gangsters. So I'm walking around and I start seeing these packs of young men, tattoos on their face. They got the dress. They're dressing like gangsters. They have that look. Come on, man. They're like Wall Street brokers, right? I yes. Mean, yeah. Yes. Away, right? yes. <laughs> so, so I start walking up to them. And one of the tricks I know as a gang cop, you don't walk up to somebody that you suspect of being a gangster. You don't say, are you a gang member? Yeah. You ask them, what gang do you belong to? And they think you know something. Right. You don't ask them, have you ever been arrested? You walk up to them and you go, when was the last time you were arrested? Or when was the last time you were deported? Because yeah. I, I look at these guys, they've been deported. So I'm yeah. walking up to these packs and I'm saying, hey, you know, Spanish, hey, what gang do you belong to? You, 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 you're a gangbanger, right? right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And when were you deported? Oh, I was deported two months ago. Oh, I was deported a year ago. And I start asking what kind of crimes. And then they always say, well, they accused me of they said I did. Well, I mean, well, what did you get deported for? Well, un tiroteo, a shooting, yeah. uh, doing this or that. Where were you living at? I was in New York. I was in Virginia. I was in Houston. There were a pack of gangsters. So I said, so are you guys going to try in, and cross? In particular gang in, 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 in the majority? Is it like MS-13 or is it? Yeah. And most, most of the Central Americans, they're going to be in some type of MS-13 
or offshoot of an MS-13 gang, the Central Americans. The Mexicans have their own gangs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, what happened was yeah, that- They're more tied in with the cartels, right? Yeah, well, most of them are just regular street gangs. And then some of them, the worst of the worst, will graduate sometimes. And what happens with the Mexican illegal alien street gangs is because they have connections to Mexico, some of them will become the, they'll have a connection to a drug supplier in Mexico that is now working in the US. So he starts supplying that whole neighborhood. But they're not really, they're, they have a connection, but they're not part of the cartel. They're more of a, they're the, they're the drug, drug connection for the rest of the gang because they got a supplier. Gotcha. You know, they know some guy from Sinaloa, or they know some guy from Jalisco or whatever. Wow. So uh, going back to these gangsters, I'm talking to these gangsters and I'm like, well, are you guys going to get amnesty? And they laughed because they knew, no, no, we cannot cross with the rest of these people. We're here at this camp because they're feeding us. And we're resting from the long trip we took. And in a couple of days, we're going to head out to the desert. We're going to head east into the desert where the wall ends and cross, take our chances there, cross it again. Because these are now previously deported criminal aliens. Right. So they'll head out to the area where the wall stops. And it's a mountainous area out there. And then they'll, they'll just take their chances and, and, and hopefully they don't get caught and they'll cross again. And I'm telling you, there were 3,000, 5,000 people down there. There was, uh, there was church organizations feeding everyone. There was a lot of food down there. I heard some reports that these people were starving. They were not starving. This woman, the famous mother from the photo, she came up to me asking for money, not because she didn't have food, but because there was a taco wagon and she wanted to buy some additional food that they weren't given. And, uh, you know, after she talked to me, I yeah. gave her 20 bucks here sure. you know, for the kids and they bought ice cream or whatever, you know. But uh, I talked to her for a good, uh, you know, a half hour and talked to a lot of people out there talked to a lot of them and and they're all saying a lot of them were saying the same thing they were really disappointed and upset that the groups that were telling them come follow us we'll get you to the border disappeared once yeah. they got to the border they they were gone they said we don't even know where they're at so those are left-wing organizations here in the u.s and we know yes. you know we we had a, we had a guest on yesterday talked a little bit about uh about who was funding those uh biden let us in t-shirts or they're uh, they're 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 made here in the U.S. Well, not made, but they're designed here in the U.S., et cetera, et cetera, and you know, made made in Central America or whatever. Um, but yeah, you have all these left wing organizations that are that are pro illegal illegal immigration, that are pro open borders, and uh, you know, frankly, uh, are, are trying to create chaos and, and force more people in. Uh, but there's there's the other element that we spoke about off camera, which. Um, a lot of people don't know. I would say probably 90% of people don't know. They hear something. They, they don't know what to believe. Uh, the media is full of shit, as you know. Um, so, the, the, you know, they're not really fair in, in, in their reporting, and they don't report that, that dark side of, uh, of this story because it doesn't suit their narrative, right? But, right. you know, we talked about the cartels, the criminal organizations. You talked about safe houses. Um, the corruption uh, with immigration in those countries too, right? Especially in Mexico. They, yeah, and how they get fed, fed to fed to the coyotes, right? Not not the not the animal, the coyote, you idiot liberals, but the coyotes, right? The, uh, <laughs> yes, 
<laughs> remember that? Oh, my God. When uh, I can't even remember who those idiots were. But during a debate when Trump said the coyotes and everybody started uh, thinking that he was talking about the uh, the animal. Um, tell us a little bit about that, Robert. I mean, that, that is just a fascinating story, how how all that works and, um, and, and, and how corrupt the entire, I guess, supply chain, if you want to call it that. Okay, like the uh, just recently, this I was talking about the case where the uh, 18 migrants in Tamaulipas. Tamaulipas is a Mexican state just south of Texas, down there in the valley, uh, that we had uh, 18 of them gunned down. There was over 100 shots fired into, I think it was a couple of cars they were into, and then the cops, or at least the cops there are t- accused of torching them. Well, one of the cars found at the scene was that, hey, wait a minute, this car was seized in a suburb of Monterey. What happened? So they talked to the chief of police down there, and the chief of police says, hey, wait a minute, we raided a house with 60 migrants in it here in Monterey, and we recovered some vehicles. We handed them off to the Mexican immigration, which is Inami. Well, when I was in Mexico, everybody knew that Inami was probably one of the most corrupt groups down there. It's Mexican immigration. So what Mexican immigration would do is uh, they they hang out at the bus uh, bus terminals. If they find out there's a house, a safe house where you know, some drop house with a bunch of migrants, they show up, they round up people. And in many cases, what they're doing, they'll round up a bunch of migrants from Central America and they'll say, here's your options. We can deport you back to Central America or you pay us and we'll continue your travel up to the border and what they're doing is they're handing off packs of migrants to the uh, human smuggling organizations. Sometimes they're drug cartels or they're cartel-aligned smuggling groups. So they hand okay. them off. Can so can you define the difference and why? Why are cartels interested in smuggling people? The money. Money. And, and you know, um, there's also some bad information. So they also use them como, como burros, right? Like yeah, mules. Well, they could use them as mules or just the money to get them across. And a lot of times, what, what, uh, if, if, say, a cartel is in an area, this happens a lot down in the Golfo uh, area where there's a, a gang war. I mean, a cartel war going on. There's yeah. a gang yeah. war going on. Golf Sometimes they, are, they need people. They need yeah. bodies. Yeah. And they'll see a pack of migrants coming through, and they'll grab all the males and say, hey, you're going to come fight for us uh, <laughs> or even the women. You're going to come work for us as lookouts, as halcones. You're going to be, we're going to give you a weapon. You're going to come fight with us. And if you're not, we're going to kill you. There's been, there's been times where the people say no and they kill them. Wow. They do kill them. So now you're like, hey, you're going to come fight with us. We need a, you know, we're short of man, manpower. And so this is what the argument I say. Down in that shelter, I'll go back real quick to the shelter. In the shelter, yeah. I'm sitting around talking to everyone and everyone and the media says, well, they're fleeing oppression, they're fleeing, you know, all this violence. I've talked to so many people down there. Why are you coming to the States? Well, I'm looking for a better job. Yeah. We're poor. Well, the whole, the whole world is poor. Yeah. The, the criteria for the asylum is not, you know, these are, these are economic refugees. Correct. These people are not fleeing. I mean, it sucks. Believe me, life sucks. Yeah, I yeah. know that life sucks. I lost both my parents by the time I was 10 years old. Life yeah. sucks. Yeah. But these people, 
that you know I feel I feel for them. It, it's if I was in their position, I'd, I'd be heading north myself. But our laws are not written to reward economic refugees. That's right. You know, otherwise, I'm telling you, if the, if the laws were like that, I know people in Iraq that risk their lives working for, as interpreters for me. They need to get to the front of the line. Yeah. I know people in Haiti. Yeah. Haiti made Iraq look like paradise. And I had Haitians working for me that risked their lives, stood side by side with us doing kidnapping investigations. And it's very dangerous there. And they're much poorer. Yeah, Haiti, Haiti's rough, man. Haiti's it's rough. A rough place. It's a rough place. But when I talk to people at the shelter, no, we're, we're heading north because our job, my job doesn't pay me much here. You know, we want a better life. And as they're going to Mexico, if you look at a lot of the numbers, especially now, Mexico is much more dangerous than places they're leaving. You all, the, you look at the statistics. You look at uh, most of the numbers there. Because what do they do? They end up in the area uh, in Tamaulipas. Tamaulipas is a tough place. It's very dangerous down to the state of Tamaulipas. Or they head to Tijuana. Yeah. Just uh, two years ago, three years ago, Tijuana had 2,518 homicides in one year. Oh, God. Yeah, in one year. Chicago, man. It's like Chicago. It's almost, yeah, yeah. almost <laughs> as dangerous as Chicago. <laughs> so so it's, it's bad. So now we'll go back to uh, the... the Mexican immigration, they make money off of human smuggling because it's money to go into their pocket. The money funnels up to the big bosses. The big bosses are the ones within the Mexican immigration system that are making a lot of the money. So then uh, the let, let's let's examine what happened with this accident down there in uh, uh, south of uh, south of San Isidro, where we had the 25, 27 people in the SUVs that crashed. And we're killed. This is what we're talking about earlier. The policies, if you create a pull factor, if you create uh, laws, uh, a system that people in Central America that are poor thinking, if we get to the States, we're going to get amnesty. Or if we get detained, they're going to release us. And we have to appear in a court date, which we're not going to show up. Let's all head north. We're going to get up north. They, they get up to the border and they have these smugglers get them across the border. And when, when I was doing my, the human smuggling investigations that I was working, yeah, uh, I'll give you, uh, they show up in the U.S. Uh, they show up to the Mexican border. Back during my time, they were showing up in, in uh, Altar Sonora, which is off the Arizona border. Uh, they were showing up in Altar. Uh, they would have groups of smugglers waiting for the migrants to show up in these camps. And they would take 20, 30, 40 migrants at a time, two or three smugglers who are the coyotes or what they are yeah. more commonly called, really, they're actually called polleros. They, they call them polleros. Yeah. So the, the, the smugglers bring them, they know the area, so they bring them to the desert. Uh, two days and three nights, they walk on foot. Uh, they, they travel through the desert. They get to a, a pickup location on the Indian reservation. And at the Indian reservation, they show up and there's like a unofficial super shuttle system. Big trucks, vans are showing up, SUVs, picking up these loads, packing them all into a car. And what happened in this accident there in California, they took all the seats out of this SUV, except for the driver's and passenger seat, so you can pack more people. That's well, cool. then you, you pack them in. And now you start heading up to a major city 
like in Arizona, they were coming up to Phoenix, or maybe they were going to Maricopa, uh, some of these uh, cities just south of Phoenix. And what do they do? They just dump them there? Yeah, well, they haul ass to a drop house. So they'll haul ass to a drop house. They're always worried that Border Patrol, DPS, somebody might stop them, and they're they're flying. Well, then they what they'll do is they'll get a drop house. The way that these organizations get a drop house, they will they will use a male, female, and somebody that looks like a family, like a family, maybe somebody with children. They'll go rent a house, and they look like they're just a regular family. Well, they would look for a house with a uh, a gate access to a backyard. So when these vans show up, they could pull into a backyard or to an alley and the neighbors will not see as they're offloading 20 people, 30 people out of a van. They go into a house and then these houses that have been rented, they have no furniture. They plywood all the windows and there's no furniture and you just pack people and you sit them on the floor. And as you're walking in, there's somebody at the door with a notepad. I'll send you a copy of what it looks like. It's a notepad. And at the top, they would have the name of the smuggler, you know, a nickname, yeah. el, el Cabezón, El Petufo, or whatever, you know, El Chino. Yeah. And so there would be a list, and then one, two, three, four, five, there would be a name. They would have the name of the, of, the, of the person being smuggled, who the who the smuggler was at the top, and then who his contact person was and where we was going. So you look, you see North Carolina, La Florida, Kentucky, you know, uh, New Jersey, and then there's a phone number. So the smuggler, as he, inside the house, as he's receiving people, he puts everyone, sits them on the floor. They start calling family members. All right, hey, we got your cousin here. Back then, they were using Western Union. We attacked Western Union because we hit them with a, a good case. Uh, they've had to get a little bit more creative on how they move money and how they make the payment. But what was happening back then, they would call family member and say, hey, we got so-and-so here. We got your cousin. Western Union money to this name. And then once the money is paid, then they have another super shuttle system where they look at a map and they go, okay, there's North Carolina, here's South Carolina, here's Virginia. Pack all of these people into this truck and they would pack somebody to a truck into a van or, or SUV and they have two drivers. So the smugglers, now they have two yeah. chauffeurs. Yes. yes. Yeah. And, and, and they're going to do is they're going to drive all day and all night hauling ass down the highway to get them and sometimes they're using meth to stay awake because they're not going to stop. They're not going to stay at a hotel. And these, these smugglers get paid per trip. So they're going to really step on, step on it to get drop-off location like a super shuttle system, wow. haul back to Arizona, and it starts over. The smugglers only use those houses for maybe a month, a couple of weeks, and then they move because they're constantly worried they're going to be discovered, and they destroy these houses. So imagine you you're a property owner and you rent your house to someone. You think it's a wife, a husband, and a couple of kids, which were just fake. And now your house is being used. Uh, when we would hit a house with 160, 180 people, 100 people, when you hit that door and you walk in, the heat and stench of all those bodies in that oh, house. I was about to say, I wouldn't even want to walk close to that bathroom. Holy right. crap. The, the bathroom cannot take that many people. So what's happening, the bath, the toilets are, are, are backed up. Uh, the toilets are backed up. They're, they're crapping in buckets and peeing in the bathtub. And so you walk in the house, and then what we were finding is the bedrooms, were, they were taking, the, they were putting deadbolts on the bedroom doors. 
So they would pack people into a certain room by category. And then sometimes you'd go into a house and all the pretty girls would be in one room sitting on the floor with a deadbolt. And you talk to these women, they're telling you, we, we were told in Central America, get on birth control or they would have the, the morning after pill because the likelihood of being raped by these smugglers was very high. Imagine, it, it, it's, it's horrific what you see. And that's what it's saying. These, these irresponsible policies create a, a crisis, a humanitarian crisis with this uh, smuggling. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that, 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 that's horrible, horrible stuff. Yeah, man. yeah. And, um, and I know you, you know, you, you also, you, you, you're, you touched a little bit right here at the, at the tail end on, on the, uh, uh, on the prostitution. I know there's huge, a huge ring for, for trafficking minors and girls. And, and how does that work? Does that work in a similar fashion? Cause I know they move them around to different places around the country, right? Right. Sometimes someone cannot pay their fee. So if it's a woman, uh, they're going to pay their fee. They're going to put them to work and they're going to pass them around from, from one mafioso to another mafioso and a dope house. And, and they're making money off of them and they'll get them hooked on drugs. Eventually the, the girl just gets killed or dies right after someone. Yeah. That, that, or sometimes they'll just abandon them. Uh, when, when I was working, even all the way back when I was working a patrol, when I was working gangs, you'd get a call to where, uh, to a dope house and there'd be some, you know, you'd see some dope, some some young girl that was an attractive girl. She's, you know, obviously she was not for the U.S. She was illegally in the U.S. And you would get there and you'd see them. And then a couple of months later, you wouldn't even recognize them because they were now strung out on dope. They look like crap. They look like the walking dead. Wow. And uh, it's so I say it, it just creates one giant humanitarian crisis. And and on our highways, you have these load vehicles going, leaving Phoenix, leaving Texas and California and hauling ass on, on these highways. And then you'll read occasionally where there's a rollover and there were, you know, eight, 10, 12 migrants in a car and they were tossed from the vehicle. Uh, Cause like I said, there, these, these drivers are hauling ass to get, get them to wherever they can. And then of course it involves the, the prostitution uh, or people, what happens in, in this in this type of world? You have these human smuggling organizations that are moving people. Then you have other groups; they're they're ripping off human smuggling loads. So there's they're like bandits. They're 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 criminals that will storm a house or storm a load vehicle, steal that load vehicle, and now they're calling the families and saying, "Hey, we need money," and maybe they've already paid. So now they're, like I said, that's when the beatings would start. We we did cases where a family would call from back east and saying, hey, they're they're beating up my brother over the phone. They're letting me hear it. We need help. And uh, this is this never makes the news. This is something that no one ever hears. And this is what, what you know, my problem with the, the bleeding hearts is they cry because they see these detention centers at the border that that's probably the best thing that could happen to them. They're yeah. safe. They're being fed. They're getting medical care. And yet they don't care. They don't give a rat's ass about what's going on through central to Mexico, through central America. And in the abuse that they're receiving uh, from these uh, smugglers. Now in a drop house, you'll have um, you have the guy that they'll call him el encargado de la casa, the head guy of the house. 
you'll have security people in there. They're armed. So when we would kick a door in, get into a house, the smugglers would drop their weapons, sit themselves on the floor and pretend to be the migrants and put their head down and just sit there. And us as investigators, when you walk into a house like this, you have to remove those smugglers. No one's going to talk because they're, they're afraid of them. Right. So our job is to walk in uh, and identify, I, right. identify who's the smugglers. Well, the smugglers are really easy to spot usually because they're dressed like they're ready to go out to the, the baile, to the dance, where the migrants are in their filthy Remember, they travel through that desert and they haven't had a shower. They don't get there. They don't get them showered. They just sit them down. They sit them down and they wait till their, their payment is made. So they stink. And they're in they're in warm clothes because especially the ones that are uh, traveling in the desert in cold weather. So the stench of that same clothes they've been wearing. Uh, and what the smugglers will do, they'll take off their shoes. They'll take off their shoes and socks. So in case they try to escape, they're going to be barefooted. So now you got a whole house full of people that are barefooted when you walk in. The smugglers, you know, got silk shirts, they got gold chains or whatever. So when you walk in, our job was like, hey, where are you from? Where are you from? You could spot them. And once you pull them out, then you make a speech to the migrant and say, hey, listen, I need to prosecute these people. I need your help. And you have people raise their hand. Now they have to look at a photo lineup and pick out your smugglers. And once, you know, in a house with 160, 180, we try to recruit eight to 10 cooperating witnesses. Those people hit the lotto. Uh, ICE would get them a temporary visa into the U.S. because we need them to be available for court. We would get a written statement from them, send them to their location. We would put them on an airplane, send them to the location. They have to stay in contact with us and they get to come and go. They hit the lotto. Everybody else gets deported. And uh, it's 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 unbelievable uh, what you see in there. But the smugglers are in there. I mean, these smugglers are sodomizing people as a threat to people to sodomizing guys to tell their family, you need to pay up or we're going to do this to your, your brother tomorrow. Oh, my God. Yeah, it, it's it's brutal. It's brutal. That is absolutely insane, man. Right. Is, uh and you know and and you have these liberals screaming and crying you know pushing open borders encouraging all this to happen because that that's what these policies do right um these right. policies encourage people to take that trek people to fall in the hands of these cartels these criminal organizations you know the coyotes etc uh run through safe houses get you know uh, get extortion by immigration in Mexico, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because of liberals and their policies that encourage this. We saw with the, um, that they tried to do that, the Trump, you know, trying to really destabilize the border and, and, and destabilize his administration. And he was able to respond pretty effectively, I think. Um, he got the Mexican government involved to do their part on their side. And, and a lot of different things happened in that process. But it's amazing that this guy in, you know, in 30 days has reversed everything and created this, this situation. And if something, something that nobody talks about, Robert, and, and we have is, you know, organ trafficking. You know, how many people disappear in these caravans and are never found because 
quite frankly, nobody knows who the hell they are. They don't have family. There's, you know, they don't have any contact information. They go missing and they go missing. Right. And that's a big, that's a big crime. That's a big thing. The, uh, the, the org organ harvesting that's going on as well. Right. Yeah. We get a lot of reports, uh, of it. Uh, the problem is once if, you know, if someone's going to snatch you, they can make you disappear and you have no idea. You know, like if you're a family in Central America and your brother or some one of your family members left, you know, he went to the north, se fue para el norte. He's yeah. up north somewhere. He never arrived. What happened to him? Right. They have no idea. There, there's, there's, and there, you know, there's thousands, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, or maybe even millions, right? Of, of cases like that. There's, people, uh, to never, there's, never shut up, right? Yeah. There's, there's, probably hundreds of thousands of people that just disappear and you have no idea where they're at. Uh, there's, and there's no sense of urgency in Mexico, in Sonora, there's a group of mothers that go around with shovels and uh, they, they do follow up that a lot of the government will not even do. And they get tips and they go out into the desert, uh, packs of women, uh, grieving mothers, and they start digging wow. uh, and they're finding graves and in some times, the cartels have showed up and said, hey, you better leave at, at gunpoint. Tell them leave because they don't like the attention because they're finding mass graves. Yeah. And uh, there's, uh, it, it's, it, you know, it's, it's horrible. Going back to these policies, I just, uh, another thought just came to my mind because you got the, the policies that are encouraging people to take the dangerous trip up north. But then these sanctuary cities, so, when you arrest people and they refuse wow. to re, uh, hand people over to ICE. Yeah. So you got violent criminals that are being arrested, they're being released and going back into the neighborhoods. Now, who suffers? Who suffers? They're not coming to, you know, I live in, I live in a nice area out here in Buckeye. They're not, I don't deal with them. Uh, the yeah, neighborhood I grew up in. Those communities, right? Yes, yes. The, I, I, I'm, I'm from. I'm a barrio kid. I grew up in the barrio. I, yeah. I grew up just east of downtown Phoenix. I don't live there anymore. But the criminals will gravitate. The career alien criminals, the violent criminals, will gravitate back to these low-income areas where there's primarily minorities, older people that can't afford to get out of these neighborhoods, yeah. and they're going to go in and they're going to terrorize these neighborhoods. They'll they'll terrorize and so these these people these 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 bleeding hearts think they're helping the Latino community or the black community or poor white communities. They're hurting them because violent criminals are going back in there. And then if, if imagine you you live in one of these low income neighborhoods and you report some criminal alien that's doing something and then he's being released. Why are you gonna why are you gonna call the cops again? Yeah. You know, they're, they're just letting them out. It's like a cop's putting them in the patrol car and then the these bleeding hearts are letting them out the other door of your patrol car. That's just what's happening. And it feels, you know, these bleeding heart libs, they get a, a nice, fuzzy, warm feeling in their heart when they go to bed in their gated communities. Yeah. But these people that live in the low-income areas where, where I came from, um, no, they're, they're the ones that uh, they're having to deal with worrying when their kids go out. These are the people that are selling dope in these neighborhoods. They're fishing in these good kids uh, that are high risk and bringing them to gangs, bringing them to prostitution, bringing them into drug dealing and everything else. It's it's insanity, total insanity. And it's just going to get worse. 
Uh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, and 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 and, and let you know. Let's let's discuss that a little bit. You know, uh, the sanctuary city situation. Um, as a former law enforcement officer, narcotics, you know, specialist, et cetera, et cetera. And, and you've done a lot of undercover stuff as well. We've talked about some of those, some of those cool stories, right? Um, I remember one, I remember a specific story you told me about your undercover and, uh, some new dealer or something. And, it ended up being somebody that you had arrested and deported in the past. You know, it's like, Oh, holy crap. Right. And, 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 and that's, that's a big security risk, right? That's a big safety risk for law enforcement to, to this, this whole situation of not throwing them out not deporting them, not controlling the border, not, you know, enforcing the laws because people like yourself, thank God you're alive. You know, you found yourself in so many situations where people that you arrested and had deported all of a sudden show up again while you're undercover <laughs> and, and and they know who you are, right? By, by the grace of God, many of us, me and my partners, um, this is, and this goes back to the 80s. We're doing this in the 80s and it's still happening to this day right now. I have uh, friends that are still working some of these dangerous undercover cases in my case, uh, I explained to you, I mentioned it before, but uh, my partner and I, we bought, uh, I believe it was three kilos of cocaine from some illegals from Sinaloa. Uh, yeah. Violent people, when we took them down, they had firearms. Oh, yeah, Sinaloa. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they were Sinaloense, and we yeah. take them down. A SWAT, our, uh, our hit team takes them down, uh, and we move on. I change names, I change my scam, and I'm out on the street again. And I have a unwitting informant, uh, an informant that didn't know who I was, but he thought I was cool. Yep. So he tells me he has tengo gente. I have some people that are moving a lot of product, and he takes me to a body shop in South Phoenix. <laughs> and we walk into a body shop, and there's an undercover guy. Anytime you're going to meet someone new, you're always really apprehensive, especially if you've been doing it for a while. Yep. And as I'm walking into this, this body shop, and we're walking towards the back, I spot this guy that we had busted on that invest a prior investigation just a couple of months earlier. Oh, and the judge didn't put a high enough bond. These guys have money. Yeah. He bonded out and and stampeded back to Mexico to take a vacation <laughs> and in the game. Uh, have some, you know, high-five his family members. And then when he was ready, he came back. So here's the guy that is supposedly moving all this coke. And I have an unwitting informant that's taking me in to meet him. And luckily, I spotted him and he didn't spot me. And I turned around and I moonwalked and got the hell out of there. And I had to make an excuse to uh, to the guy I was with. And I could have been, I mean, I was by myself. You could have, you could have been killed. I could have been killed. I was by myself. I mean, they I would have executed you right there on the spot. You know? Yeah, you know, I was armed, but they were armed and I was totally outnumbered and I had no backup. I was totally by myself. Wow, man. That's, that's, and, and that's got to be, you know, that's got to be super frightening to be to be doing some of these undercover things, you know. Um, but you know, the, you know our complaint is especially, especially narcotics and with the cartels involved, because those guys don't um, they, they 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 don't mess around, right? No, you know, for most part, most criminals, if they spot you, if they think you're a cop, uh, in reality, most of us are more afraid that they're okay. If, if they think you're a cop, they're gonna scram. They don't want anything to do with you. But 
our biggest fear is that they don't they don't know you're a cop. They think you're a legit criminal. And while you're trying to do a deal, they're going to pull out a gun and, and rob you and whack you. That's all. That's all. Our our buddy uh, uh, Richie Foss was killed in 80, 94 doing an undercover deal. He was executed. The bad guys didn't know he was a cop. They thought he was a legit criminal, and they were going to try and rob him for one hundred and forty thousand dollars. And there's a lot of that going on, right? I mean, oh. criminals robbing criminals all the time, right? Especially all the time, right? So we teach me and my uh, partner. I hope to bring it on here in a couple in a week or so. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he uh, just retired. He was, uh, right, chasing somebody. Yes. That was a story of uh, why shoot somebody in the back. Yes, yes. Yeah. He was shot in the face uh, in 94, uh, about a month before our buddy was killed. Wow. And uh, what happened with, with him is uh, in dealing with uh, a lot of these criminal aliens that we would deal with, uh, he just retired. He did 37 years, 36, 37 years on the PD. He did undercover work for four uh what four decades? Wow. He did uh now he would leave, he would come back, he would leave and he would come back. Well, and, that guy's uh, and that guy's a boss. Yeah, he did some he did some crazy stuff. And uh, but it's 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 a tough job, you know. It's it's a it's a very tough job. He's uh, we're hoping uh to, at the current time we do an undercover school. We teach an undercover school, and in the undercover school, we tell the officers is that you have to minimize the opportunity for a bad guy to rip you off. So in other words, there's tricks to the trade that we do that you minimize given an opportunity of somebody just pulling out a gun and shooting you. So there's there's tricks that we have. But we also say, you know, if, if you're in a position where you have to give a signal where you're under duress, you're, somebody has a drop on you and you're giving a signal, uh, a verbal signal over a, a transmitter you're wearing, um, you have to know if you get into this line of business, when that hit team comes to help you, they might be recovering your dead body. Yeah, uh, They're the vengeance squad. They might be the vengeance squad coming to avenge your death. And you have to understand that because this is, it's no joke in, in this type of work. So, uh, so the, we teach an undercover school. It's a lot of fun. We use simulation rounds. We, we find an area that uh, they're going to knock some houses down. And we turn it into an undercover slash tactical school. And we use uh, uh, SWAT teams. We use gang enforcement, people that would play the role of being the rescuers, showing up and shooting it out with bad guys as we're shooting simulation paint rounds at each other. Wow. And uh, it's, a, it's a grown-up game of cops and robbers. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, man, dude, you're a stud, man. Thank you for your service as always. And, uh, and glad to have you back on Battleground, man. Always, always. Thanks for having Absolutely, me. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So, you know, we, we, you know, we're back. So hopefully next Friday. And if you want to bring your partner, man, uh, I know you guys have some plans. I don't know if you want to tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, uh, we're, uh, we're, what we're hoping to do here, we're, we're thinking, tossing some ideas of starting a uh, podcast. Uh, Saul Ayala, who just retired from Phoenix PD, who uh, worked a whole lot of undercover work. We've been friends since high school. Like I mentioned, he survived getting shot in the face. Um, and we teach an undercover school together. Uh, we uh, are planning on doing a podcast and making it about uh, narcotics cops, gang cops, Mexican organized crime, human smuggling, and not giving away tricks of the trade, but kind of a, uh, letting people know there's there's some a very important stories to be told out there, some 
some guys that have done incredible work, but also highlight uh, some of the dangers when we're talking about defunding the police. Yeah. Because the, when you start defunding police, you're going to be removing some of the most important proactive squads out there that do uh, go after career criminals. In, law, in, in criminals, you have a small group of people that are involved or engage in most crime. You know, you don't have you have a, a core group of hardcore criminals that are responsible for committing a lot of crime and you remove these career criminals, your stats, your violence, your violent criminals, and a lot of the uh, defund police movement are removing your street crime units, some of your undercover units. So we're going to highlight some of that. And that's what we hope to start here in a month or so. That's awesome, man. Well, I'm excited for you guys and always excited to have you on the show. Hey, Robert, dude, you're a stud, man. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, the great Robert Arce, man. Thanks, brother. I appreciate you. And uh, thanks for uh, following us on Battleground. As you know, we're on uh, iHeart, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We're nationally syndicated everywhere. You can find us. And now we're streaming on uh, Facebook Watch and on uh, Periscope. So we'll see you next week. Don't miss it. podcast is a part of the c-suite radio network for more top business podcasts visit c-suiteradio.com